The Four Diegos, proudly brought to you by Tax Talk. We love to talk tax. Call 1300 366 639. In our latest edition of the Socceroos series tonight, we have live in the studio a man who was known for both his technical excellence and his hardness at the ball. Born in Buenos Aires in Argentina, this Socceroos legend played 70 times for the Green and Gold, scoring 12 goals and negotiating two World Cup campaigns as part of Frank Arrock's Mad Dogs of the 80s. Those people who watched our guests play universally agree that if he was running around today, he would be up there and maybe even surpass some of the great Australian players who are making millions and some billions <laughs> overseas. Please, a big 40 Diego's welcome. A special Socceroos series welcome to Oscar Carino. Good evening to you, Oscar. Good evening, guys. Lovely to be here. Great to see you, mate. You don't look a day over 22. I remember you're running around as a 22-year-old. You look fit. You look svelte. I think the Socceroos need you. I don't know. Uh, look, I, my kids don't think like that. I bought a pair of shoes the other day, and they said, "Hey, Dad, they match you. Now you're an old man. You bought a, an old pair of shoes as well." So, <laughs> so I don't know. Yeah, it's, it's unbelievable. We have, we've had uh, Alan Davidson in here. Yeah. We've had John Markovsky as Danny well. Danny Tiato. Danny Tiato. Yep. I mean, you guys look like. I mean, all of you. John yeah. Markowski, who had, you know, yeah. um, you know, liked a burger or two from time to time, uh, <laughs> but was a fantastic player. I yeah. mean, one of the greats, actually. You all look like you can play. You obviously keep in shape. You're playing, you're playing the game? Yeah, well, I don't play the game, but I do keep in shape by uh, mixing with a few uh, true believers, I call them. They're, they're my friends who uh, play tennis, and there's Roberts, Richard, and John, which I normally play on, on Thursdays. Uh, I can't make it tomorrow, boys, by the way. <laughs> but uh, look, my knees have, have gone a long time ago, so yeah. the, the only way I, get, I keep a little bit of fitness is through playing a bit of tennis, which uh, obviously doesn't. That means that uh, I can only run three metres either way, but, uh, you know, I try my best and, you know, the discipline still sort of you know, stays with you. Uh, every time you look in the mirror, you know, you, you try to remain as uh, as fit and, you know, as good looking as you can can try to be because, uh, you know, wherever you go, people still sort of tend to um, say a few good things about you. Let's take you back. I'm going to take you back to a day when you were running. Your knees were great. Uh, you were running around wearing the green and gold. Club Australia, Frank Arrock used to call the period with the Mad Dogs. What were your memories about that time? Well, it was great. You know, Frank was, uh, again, uh, it, it was a great pleasure to play under him because he was uh, a type of genius, if you like, uh, you know, eccentric. Uh, people saw what they saw on television and... Uh, Perhaps if they saw it now, they'd probably understand it a little bit more. You know, he was misunderstood a few times uh, by his antics, but um, it was all well calculated, and uh, he knew more than what um, what you know most people you know understood. And uh, it, it was fun. We had a, uh, a great team, and and he started an era where um, you know he he set out to 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 put Australia back on the map. You know, and 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 he wanted that. Uh, Every Australian person should know this this team, and every uh, you know Australian person should know every player individually, and uh, you know we all responded very much to him because uh, you know everyone respected him very much. You guys uh, were known as the Mad Dogs, and you were known for your hardness at, at the uh, at the ball, and at, and in some occasions at the man as well. <laughs> you were known for your ability, you know, to kick the opposition in the air higher than probably the ball in some cases, but. Um, you were one of the few of that team who were really technically gifted. You know, do you think the team was unfairly labelled, uh, you know, labelled hard but had no skill? Do you think that was an unfair label? Look, it was the way to play in those days. Uh, the majority of the players, in particular the, the guys just before us, you know, were all sort of, you know, of British origin and, uh, and they were hard. You know, the, the, the league in those days was, you know, either kick or get kicked. So... <laughs> 
but but in my case it was different because I, I where I grew up it um, you know the, the way you, the way you got people upset is by uh, showing how te- good technically you were and um, so there was no need for me to to to, to go around and you know and, and start kicking people too much but uh, you know let alone the fact that I couldn't run all that fast anyway so <laughs> no, but but you know I, I figured that that. Uh, in order to to make people appreciate the game, which is actually set out to do that, you know, I had to show them that um, soccer can actually be an effective game. You can win, but you can also play uh, with purpose and skill, and 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 show the beauty of the game. And, and that's probably why you know the the Brazilians call it you know jogo bonito, which means you know the, the beautiful game. You know, so but over here, you know, if you did that a lot in training and you did that a lot, you know, in, in other parts, you know, it didn't go down too well because people thought that you know playing good football meant that hey, you know, you you know you you belong to a circus and not so much in, in into a soccer field. You know, but that's not true. And you know, as, as the great players would show. Uh, even in current times, you know, your Ronaldinho's, you know, Ronaldo's, all these sort of people, you know, they they got all the the trickery, the mastery of the ball, and and that sort of stuff. Yet, you know, when it comes to winning, you know, they'd like to win more than anybody. So mm. th- th- that was my purpose in the team. Now, Oscar, you have uh, other interests these days. You you're a father now. You got uh, young kids, but um, I'm just interested. What are your what are your memories of those times, particularly playing at the national level? Um, do you remember those times with fondness? Do you uh, do you keep in touch with the with the guys that you used to play with? Well, look, that, those times were great for me growing up. I think uh, you know, dressing room atmosphere is uh, is amazing, particularly the Australian dressing room, and it still is today. Uh, in, in in every sport, you know, you, you speak to people who uh, wore the green and gold, and uh, whether they played cricket or you know rugby, you know, the the, the fondness, the, the the togetherness, and and even as recent as, as six months ago when we played in the Masters, a lot of the um, the old soccerers got together, and uh, you know, we, we competed in Sydney and. We had guys that um, you know never played with us before, but joined our team, and they 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 said that uh, you know the way we went about it, it was like you know people going in, you know mates in war and stuff like that. It's just once you go into an Australian dressing room, there's a, a certain togetherness, and that, that's that sort of uh, you know it rubs out on the way we play and uh, you know the way we we stick together overseas and. And uh, you know, you, you saw when the, when the last team went to the World Cup, how together they were, and uh, you know how proud they made all of us uh, with that, and that rubbed onto their screens, and uh, you know, got the country behind behind them, and uh, you know, and, and when I played, it was it was very similar. The, obviously, we didn't make the World Cup. My team uh, managed to get to the uh, the Olympics, and. Uh, you know, uh, th- those are those are the best times that uh, you you actually live for. You know, you you, you grow up, and uh, when we were part timers in those days, and uh, you know, a lot of us would go back to our jobs during the week, and uh, you know, we couldn't wait till the letters came came or the phone call came saying, "Hey, there's a tour," you know, uh, in Asia somewhere, and and the two weeks that we spent together with these guys, you know, it's um, you could do so much in two weeks. It's almost obviously it's lasted a lifetime, and uh, unfortunately. Um, we're all over the country. Um, we all became more or less fathers and families and you know business people. Unfortunately, we don't get together as much as we should. Um, you know, there was an email circulating recently that um, you know with a with a sad passing of one of our colleagues, Ian Gray, that we should get a lot uh, together because that. Um, you know, it's uh, as we get in older ourselves, we always thought we we're going to be young and you know be able to play forever. But you know, as we get in older ourselves, we don't want to sort of catch up at funerals. You know, we'd rather catch mm. up um, for a drink somewhere. And um, we're actually going to do that when uh, 
just before the team uh, uh, for the, the New Zealand game, we all going to some of us are going to get together and uh, you know catch up and tell the stories a little bit bigger than what they actually <laughs> were. <'cause>, Love <laughs> to be a fly on the wall, mate. Because uh, you know we <laughs> we all bend free kicks that we never bent, but, uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, well, you know that's what usually happens in those in those get-togethers. But it's great fun. What, what do you put that togetherness down to? I mean, Frank Oric was obviously a part of that. Um, I, 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 I'm, I'm really interested because a lot of Australian uh, sportsmen, a lot of, a lot of Socceroos particularly, I mean, they say, I mean, I mean, obviously you're a young man, you're in your prime and, and all that, but they are the time of your life. He was very actually selective in the, the type of characters he, he brought in. You know, you had to, um, you had to fit a certain mould. And what, what one of the criteria he had that you had to actually be able to live with each other, you know. And uh, if you didn't, you know, if you... If, if you couldn't fit in, in, in that the mould, he would not uh, uh, let you in the team. As well as that, he had heavy criteria regarding um, your approach to the game. And, um, you know, one of his um, great comments was uh, that he wanted uh, people who could give him reliability and not availability. And, uh, you know, with Frank, uh, you know, it's unfortunate really because as far as, you know, I wish I had talked to him a lot more. Um, the, the amount of respect that everyone had with him, you know, uh, but although very little contact because um, you knew when Frank looked at you and you knew when Frank said something to you, um, you know, it was understood straight away and, and, and we had such great respect for him that uh, that created a, such a great atmosphere. And, and he was the actual cheerleader as well, you know, in the dressing room. He was... Um, he, he was f as funny as anybody and, uh, and, and, and and as chirpy as anybody. So, so you you never come into an Australian dressing room with Frank and uh, you know be sad. You know he'll he'll make you you know he'll make the atmosphere bigger than what it was. You know it was great. 1985, the World Cup qualifiers against Scotland. Uh, I remember the Winfield Socceroos and the time. Do you, do you remember the second game? I had a nightmare in that game. No, oh, well, <laughs> well, I'm going to get to that, mate. Uh, you know, the the first game at Hampton Park, you know, I remember watching it as a kid and just uh, being frightened for you guys, the amount of uh, pressure. Talk about parking the bus. I think you guys parked a number of Greyhound buses that night to try and get some sort of result. 2-0 over there, loss. Coming back to Australia, no one really gave you much of a chance. Uh, even Scotland probably took you a little bit lightly, leaving a couple of their major plays over there. But you guys nearly pulled it off. Were they the two biggest games of your life? Yeah, that that was obviously uh, the games that we, for me personally, uh, you know, we were you know, two games away from the World Cup, and um, we really set out to try and put Australia back on the map. Uh, it, it, we we made such an effort to try and get this country to participate in the in the biggest stage that uh, it meant a lot to us. And uh, you know, the fact that we were part timers, we knew we were against it, but. Um, look, in the end of the day, I think if, if you look back, um, we were probably a little bit optimistic, but the difference really between the two sides was Kenny Dalglish. You know, and had he not existed in that team, I'd, I'd say that we probably would have done better over there as well. Um, Frank prepared us excellent because it took us a year to the day before. You know, He said, look, you guys, without knowing that we're going to play them or qualify, and he says, you guys will be here on this particular day because we are going to qualify to meet this guy. So he made us go on the same day or thereabouts to make sure that we um, we experienced the atmosphere. We played against Rangers and people like that in you know, extremely cold weather, which we weren't sort of used to. But we were not prepared to what was going to take uh, us to uh, Hamden Park. And, uh, you know, that was as close to a Coliseum as, as you can probably get. You know, there, there was lines missing, but uh, there was everything else being thrown, you know, particularly verbally was... It was amazing because we couldn't hear each other about 10 metres away. And um, so in the first, you know, when we went to line up, we said, 
what do we do almost, you know? But uh, again, the spirit came through, uh, and I'm pretty sure it would have came through the, the screens as well, that uh, we were very together. And, uh, you know, we gave it the best shot. They got us, you know, a little bit on sort of on the break, on, particularly on the second goal. But um, I, I felt that had the score been maybe, you know, 1-0, you know, you, you never know. Maybe they would have brought uh, Doug Lish to play over here and that might have turned things around for them as well. But he was the biggest difference and he was uh, a class player and he was one of the, the best players I've ever played against as well as uh, Zico, uh, which, you know, gave me a great joy. Not often you stand on the pitch and watch other players play, but uh, unfortunately with him we, we actually had to admit it that he was there. <laughs> well, you mentioned those two, those two greats of the game, legends of the game. You know, you played with and against some other players. You know, you, the, you, you mentioned the bond that you, you guys had. Who were who some of the, you know, in your opinion, some of the greats that just remind some of our listeners who your teammates were in that era of, you know, for the Socceroos and even, you know, players you played against? Yeah, well, well in, in the case of the, you know, great characters, we had uh, starting from the back, uh, you know, you had uh, Terry Greedy in gold, you know, and then, then Jeff Olver took over, which, you know, became a, a, a great goalkeeper, you know, and... Uh, and uh, you know his games uh, that, that he played for us. After that, it was, were, were fantastic. But you know, great characters. You know, uh, John Cosmina. You know, you know uh, Charlie Yankos, uh, Frankie Farina, all these sort of people. You know, they were great individuals, different characters. Um, great to be around. Um, you know, they all had uh, special skills that um, you know we were all different, um, but yet. Uh, we all had great admiration for each other, so it was great fun because you knew that um, you, you, you were dealing with special people that uh, were very humble as well, um, and uh, we were very dedicated to what that did. And uh, as far as the oppositions were concerned, I was lucky enough to play against Zico, you know, and I ended up getting his shirt. But it took me about five minutes of chasing him around, <laughs> for the last five minutes and trying to talk Portuguese, you know, from Spanish to Portuguese. But he, he gave it to me, and. Uh, the story of that uh, of that goes that I had to keep that shirt uh, with me everywhere, sweaty, for about two weeks because the boys were trying to get to it. So, <laughs> so, so that, was, that, was, that was great as well. Lucky so, there were no restraining orders in those days. Yeah, exactly <laughs> right. Exactly right. Oscar, more to talk to you about uh, Socceroos and also how you became a player, how you were uh, picked up in the first place uh, as a young kid, young Argentinian kid who couldn't speak English. Uh, Love the story about that. I happen to be personally... You know, uh, aware of it all. So we'll uh, talk about that after the break. More of Oscar Crino on a special Socceroo series on the 40 Yogos after the break. So stick around. In 1997, a British man placed one of the most peculiar bets ever taken by bookmakers. Steve Caldercott of Birmingham had a $45 bet that his son Jack then three and a half months old, would score a goal for England in the World Cup final in 2018, when Jack will be 21. The bookies gave odds of 50,000 to one, which would win Caldercott a cool $2.5 million. This has been a moment of supreme optimism by the four Diegos. The Four Diegos on 1116 SEM. Let's go! Yeah! Let's go! 
Welcome back everyone, this is the Four Diego's on a wonderful Wednesday night special Socceroo series here on 1116 SEN, Melbourne's home of sport. Having a great chat with Oscar and got, got some fantastic stuff off the uh, off the SMS so far. Dino from Reservoir says this stuff is the is what the current Socceroos need to hear, he reckons. Mm. Uh, I'm pretty sure they've got enough motivation as it is, but uh, Oscar's certainly bringing, uh, bringing uh, a lot of stories that uh, we all uh, grew very proud of back in the 80s. Uh, another one off the SMS, Poetry in Motion, Oscar, Poetry in motion, obviously some fans there, mate, and of course uh, Danny Dandon said he went to school with Oscar at Clayton Tech. Do you remember Danny Dandon on there, Oscar? Well, I like to say I do. <laughs> but, but, look, look, I know a lot of people, and uh, you know Clayton Tech unfortunately closed down. So uh, you know, I, I was supposed to go back for the gathering just before that school closed down, which I, because of my commitments with football and all the rest of it, I, you know, I was I was quite busy and I couldn't get there, but. Uh, Look, you know, I play with a lot of people, and uh, you know, if if, uh, if I did play with Dan and and you know, shared shared some of the good times, you know, and uh, I'm glad he's still doing well. I hope, and uh, you know, and he'd <laughs> uh, be good to catch up if we can one time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just give us a ring, Dan. We'll just leave your number with Oscar. He can give you a ring. So there you go. Now, Oscar, obviously your background's Argentinian. You came over as a young kid, couldn't speak English. Uh, before we talk about how you were discovered in Australia, let's talk about your time in Argentina. Why did your family in those days uh, immigrate from Argentina to Australia? And obviously as a 10-year-old or as a 9-year-old at the time, you would, you would have been showing some ability in a, in a country that is football mad. Yeah, well, we, we came here basically for economic reasons. We uh, come from uh, those days was a family of with five kids, and uh, my father was, had a butcher shop, and uh, you know that wasn't enough to... Uh, to keep us going, and uh, he felt that he could give us a better future. He tried to become uh, an American citizen, but that didn't work. A Canadian citizen, that didn't work. So, <laughs> so he found out a loophole that Australia needed uh, tradespeople, but uh, all of a sudden he was a bricklayer, he reckons. So, <laughs> so, so we came over, they accepted us, and you know we're grateful for that because this is a great country, and that was probably his best uh, move that he's ever made. But uh, I was already playing um, in San Lorenzo as a junior. I just got picked up on, on, on the streets because over there, uh, you know, the scouts are on the streets. People talk, and and it's it's vital to be pretty good on on, on your own street before you can actually move on. And uh, I was uh, pretty happy, even though it took me about ten training sessions to make the grade. Um, after they, they they gave me a trial, uh, but uh, then my father gave me the great news: Hey, we're going to Australia. You know, and I told some of my mates, and they said, "Oh, you're going to Austria," because <laughs> I didn't know where it was, and uh, neither did I. So, but uh, look. It was great. We came over here. We, we, we suffered a little bit with, with the language, but it turned out great after that. Uh, you say you uh, were trialling. At what age were you trialling? I was about eight and a half, nine years old. And, um, you know, over there, they're, they're ruthless. Uh, they, they look at you early. Um, they did test on us on even on bone density. And uh, I, I remember when I first went, they... they they made us run around the oval, and um, you know when you got to to the coach again, he would say things like "You keep running or you stop." And um, after a couple of laps, laps, he told me to stop, and I said, "No, hang on a minute, I'm, I can keep going because I thought that was me. I was gone out of the team." So, you know, they test you for all sorts of things even at that early age. And um, but it took about you know between eight and ten weeks, and then after that, they uh, they, they said, "Okay, you're you're in the team," but that only lasts for one year. And then you go through the whole process again. So if you're under nines, then you've got to trial for the under tens again because a whole new group of kids come along and probably 100 kids per session come along and all the rest of it. So, so it's quite competitive at a very, very early age. And you learn, you learn how to survive. You learn all your skills, uh, not only from the streets, but from, from the way they treat you at club level. 
Oh, well, son of a butcher, your calcium levels would have been high. That, uh, <laughs> you tick, tick one box there. Uh, the calcium levels are high, but I don't know about my meniscus because that's what <laughs> let me down at the end, you know, my knees. Well, I mean, we, we've, we have spoken to you a little bit off air during the ad break then, but, you know, as an Argentinian lad, you know, um, you, you had, let's not forget the fantastic career you ended up having with the Socceroos. But did you ever, do you still dream that, you know, you could have been, you know, because you're an Argentinian, could you, the, you, you could have lived that dream in Argentina and maybe even made it to the top. Funny, because everyone that I speak to sometimes raise that particular thing. I actually, as soon as I landed here, I felt at home. And um, particularly after the, the, the first year and a half, uh, once I spoke English, um, I like the way they do things here, the, the, the decency, you know, the, the way they respect people, uh, all, all that sort of stuff. So I actually felt home here. Uh, my father is, is Italian, so, you know, uh, Italian background. And um, we, he felt and, and we felt that, that once we came here, you know, that we felt so, so much at home. So I, I remember going to watch Australia as a kid and when I lost, I think, to Iran in, in, in Olympic Park and uh, thinking to myself and... You know, one day I'll be I'll be playing in it. That's all I ever wanted to do, and uh, that was only. Uh, my father never gave me too many compliments, uh, and uh, <laughs> although I heard one from him one time watching that particular game, this bloke came up to him and he says, "Oh, you got a son?" He said, "Yeah, he plays." Yeah, he said he's under 16s or something, and uh, and um, my father said, "Well, the, the guy said to him, is he any good?'" Yeah. Yeah, he'll be there in a couple of years. <laughs> I must be doing all right, you know. So he was right about that. Well, I can vouch for that, Oscar. Uh, and I need to admit to the world that I was your teammate in under tens at Footscray JUST all those years ago. And uh, and I remember before you arrived, uh, we had a legendary coach, uh, Pepe. His name was, and you know him very well. He was almost a father figure to anyone who who played it, at the JUST juniors back in the seventies. And uh, and I remember before you came, we were his disappointment because we were getting beaten ten nil every week and he couldn't understand why and he'd be saying Carlos, Carlos, can you you know, you know what I'm talking about, he used yeah. to yell at me all the time <laughs> then he'd bring this Argentinian boy couldn't speak a word of English, didn't say much uh, it wasn't uh, it's too remarkable by way of size but suddenly from losing 10-0 every week we were winning 10-0 every week I didn't change as a player, the other guys didn't certainly change as players Oscar Crino was the, was the boy that we were talking about. How were you discovered, though? Uh, the stories were legendary at the time that, uh, that how Pepe found you, um, you know, just knocking around on the beach. Yeah, it was, it was a great story in, in the end because um, when, when we came, we didn't have any vehicles and uh, my father was a bit slow to buy a car and uh, we used to live across the road of a bus stop and uh, where the bus used to go to Elwood Beach. So, like the Beverly Hillbillies, we got in there, <laughs> we just packed, you know, the Esky was a big thing in those days, of course, and yeah. we packed everything and he said, look, we're going to go to the beach. So, you know, he got me to go up the front because he didn't you know how to speak English, just, just tell the driver, beach. So I went told the, <laughs> we went to Elwood Beach and and so we, we were there and, uh, you know, in Argentina, you wouldn't go anywhere without your soccer ball anyway. But so I took a soccer ball down there and I was playing with my father and there was a little game going on with, with guys that could play, you know. I, you know, I found out later that that was probably half of, half of those were internationals. But anyway, these guys uh, were adults. Yeah, they yeah, were yeah, adults. Yeah, yeah, and they were having a little game. But in Argentina, if you want to play a game uh, in a street, all you do is stand by the side of the uh, of the game that's being played. So um, I went and stood there, and uh, you know, these guys were all adults, and uh, they, they just you know, looked at me and you know looked away. So I thought, gee, I'm never going to get a game here. So I waited and waited for about 10, 15 minutes, and then what I thought I'd do is go behind the goals. So every time they kicked a goal. 
I grabbed the ball, you know, I juggled it about 50 times before I gave it back to them. And then one of them said, hey, little boy, you reckon you can play? And I said, look, I don't speak English, but throw me in, you know. So they threw me in and I got the ball and I hogged it. So I took them on and did all this sort of thing. And then Pepe came along and he said, you know, where do you live, son? And I said, oh, somewhere in Clayton. But, you know, uh, you know, we just came here only a few months ago and... Uh, you know, he said, "You want to come and play for Footscray?" I said, "No, that's a bit far." And uh, my father said the same thing. But you know, two days later, Pepe rocked up with um, you know a bag full of tracksuits and boots, which I never had still. And uh, and growing up in Argentina, I used to go past windows and look at Adidas boots and say, "Wow, I'm going to wear those one day." And uh, you know, all of a sudden, I had them. Uh, my coach brought them along, and you know, he took me to Footscray. He taught me how to get on the train. So I was. From like I said, ten just over ten years old, I got on the train from Clayton, and um, you know, found my way going to Footscray on my own, back and coming home at night. And you know, at the first few times he put me on the train, but after that, you know, it was just one one straight line, and I knew how to get back. And and this man showed me a lot of passion, passion for the game, and uh, you know, he had a great family there at Footscray, and probably you know, the best days as as a junior I enjoyed there with you, Carlos, and uh, and. Uh, the reason the score turned around in those days from being, you know, 10 nil down was that, uh, you know, I worked out that the keepers were little, so I used to love them a lot. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> so all I used score to goals in the middle of the ground. You so I used believe. to love a lot, a lot yeah. in those days, but then I couldn't get away when we were 15 low no more. Yeah. yeah, it's true. Just off the SMS, uh, Sam Port Melbourne, and this probably ties in nicely with uh, your story about playing with all these adults. These adults weren't just mere beach footballers. They were excellent players and uh, Sam from Port Melbourne says how does Oscar rate the stars at Footscray JOST at the time? Branko Buljevic what a 1974 soccer Micic, Frank Micic, fantastic uh, player. Uh, Mirko Buljevic, yeah, yeah. Buljevic, fantastic player. Uh, even uh, Mendo Ristovsky was running around at the time. So good players. Uh, they were great. Look, uh, I, I had the luck eventually to uh, to play with Bulovic. Uh, and he was there playing on the beach that day, and so was Micic. Micic was uh, you know, he had fantastic poise on the ball. He, you know, vision, very calm. Um, you know, if he was playing today, you could, you know, you, you could go watch him any day. And, and Bulovic was one of the smartest guys I've ever played with. Um, very tricky on the ball. Very arrogant, had a funny walk, but hey, God, you know, I mean, he could play this guy. So it was, it was great enjoyment, and I was very, very lucky to have uh, met him. Yeah, he was a, certainly a player that uh, probably would have been in the Mark Viduka mould. Big, strong centre forward. And I remember in the 1974 World Cup, he even hit the post with uh, with his brilliant left foot that he had. Great player at the time. We'll come back with more of Oscar Crenna. This is uh, riveting stuff, at least for us. Anyway, we just love it. And uh, this is the Four Diego Socceroos Series on 1116 SEN, Melbourne's home sport. I've had teams before that if you told them to go Route 1, they became monogamous. This has been a sad coaching moment by the four Diegos. I've crossed deserts from the four Diegos soccer show. The four Diegos on 1116 SEN. Welcome back, everyone. This is the Four Diego special, special Socceroo series with Oscar Crino. Uh, Oscar, we're enjoying this uh, chat uh, immensely, and our listeners are too. Christine is a regular female, part of our female demographic, says that she's riveted to the to the radio on this one, which is fantastic. I'm glad that uh, we're getting a lot of people who maybe didn't see you play when you are a kid running around and playing for Australia who actually are really uh, connecting with what you're saying. Now, I know it's a difficult one, and most of the Socceroos f- flob us off, even though, even though we, you know, we're pretty admired 
and we're absolutely respected out there. <laughs> when we ask this question yeah. of general socceroos, they just say, Carlos, I'm not going to tell you. Carlos who? Yeah, yeah. Carlos who, that's yeah. it. Oscar, who is the greatest socceroo that you've played with or that you've seen? Well, I want to name one. Uh, <laughs> no, 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 no. You guys must get together and talk about yeah, this. Yeah, no, no. Look, I, I think it's fair, fair to say that I was lucky enough to play with a lot of uh, great individuals, and uh, and they all had different qualities. I was lucky enough to play with Paul Wade, and 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 you won't find uh, anybody that, that that goes about the game like he did. You know, he he was. Uh, you know, he was not pretty, you know, as far as, you know, maybe what supporters would have expected and all that sort of stuff. But boy, you know, he, his endeavour, you know, his willingness to win, his honesty on and off the park. And, uh, you know, he taught me a lot of great things. Um, Zako Ojako was, was a great individual with skill and, um, you know, he could do anything. Uh, unfortunately, he came at a stage where he was getting a bit old as well in that case. And obviously we were part-timers. Uh, great individual skill like Mickey Peterson. You, know, you won't find that around too often today, even today. Um, great leaders uh, that you could take into battle anyway. People like Charlie Yankos. You know, you know th th these sort of guys you want in the front any any particular time. Um, there's also other individuals that were not known uh, like uh, as much in the sense of uh, you know household names, but perhaps well in, in Sydney he was anyway. Marshall Soper was mm. a, w w was a name that. You know, but perhaps a lot of people, maybe from other states, might not uh, be that familiar. But boy, could he play! I was really well. Obviously, we had a bit of a chat over the break about this. And when you mentioned Marshall Soap, I remember him obviously getting picked with all the soccer sides, and Frank Garrock picking him. Obviously, respect him as a player, but I thought he was probably perceived as a bit of a clown. But you're really rating him up there with some of the greats. No, he wasn't a clown. He, he his football ability was was amazing. But you know, like 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 a lot of geniuses, you know, there's always a, a few flaws somewhere in there, and, and and perhaps that sometimes that those flaws came out at, at a critical time. But had he had the luck to get his game together uh, for a few seasons in a row, and in particular at the highest level, you know, we might have seen exceptional things from him. And uh, it's a pity that, that those things sometimes don't eventuate, you know, with a lot of players. They, they, they show a lot of potential. They show, you know, all the ingredients that are required. But, you know, playing at the highest level, sometimes you, you, you've got to be able to turn it on, you know. Mm. And uh, there's been other players like uh, that, that, that had great characters that also played Great things and, and did a lot of contribution for for the teams that I played with. Uh, and I'm going to mention, for example, players like Alan Hunter. You know, again, mm, you know, yeah. he he he's not the guy that, uh, that 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 you that you know might have the skills of, of John Terry or something like that. But boy, you know, he he kept the, the dressing room alive. And uh, you know, when he did go into battle, you know, he was dead serious. You know, a lot of people don't know that that, that other side of him. Some of our listeners are, are, are re recent converts to the game because of the, you know, the magnificent work, you know, the FFA doing, and uh, um, you know, and and with the A League, you're considered. And we've got an, a text message here saying that uh, Oscar's uh, the best attacking central midfielder Australia has had. That was my brother, was it? Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, who who are some of the players that that you admire today, you know, I mean, just, uh, from an Australian perspective, but also from an international perspective, similar to the type of role that you played especially? Well, I think, you know, we, we're, we're lucky today to have uh, kids like, you know, Tim, Tim, I call him kid because obviously they're younger, you know, uh, the, uh, Tim Cahill. Um, I think Harry has um, captured the, the, the imagination of a lot of young kids. Um, this these guys are doing it week in week out at, at the highest level. So you got to take your hat off to them. You know they 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 do 
they do it week in, week out. They do it well. They're exciting. You know, Tim Cahill is, um, you know, is, is, is our card for, for this coming World Cup, as he was in the, in, in the last one, and I hope that his uh, fitness is up to scratch. And, uh, you know, as far as... Uh, there, there are other great players. I think, uh, you know, at the back, um, you, you've got Schwarzer. Yeah, you know, Schwartz has uh, really done great things for for for, for this country. Uh, he's won crucial games. Um, he has shown that uh, you know, being a goalkeeper uh, can actually be glamorous. You know, when when I was growing up, you know, they said, "Oh, if you're going to be a goalkeeper, well, there must be something wrong with you." But you know, uh, probably still is the case. But, <laughs> but you know, when you watch Schwartz go about it, you think, "God, you know, it'd be nice to be a goalkeeper sometimes." Oscar, we're going to take one more break, mate. We'll come back and we have more of Oscar Credo's special Socceroo series here on the Four Diego's Eleven Sixteen SCN, Melbourne's home of sport. The Four Diego's on 1116 SEN. Welcome back, everyone. This is The Four Diego's, 1116 SEN, Melbourne's home of sport. For now, though, we're uh, finishing off the Soccer Series magnificent show with uh, Oscar Crino in the studio tonight. Oscar, now, obviously, uh, Argentinian descent. 1988 uh, Bicentennial uh, Gold Cup played in Australia. Incredible lineup. We had Brazil, we had Argentina, and I think we had Saudi Arabia here in that tournament. You got to play against Brazil, which must have been a huge, proud moment for yourself and your family, having come to Australia, Argentinian boy, playing for Australia against Brazil. You didn't front up against Argentina. What happened there? I had a poison leg. I was in hospital uh, for about four days. How did they, they must have hurt you badly, not oh, playing against you. It was, it was amazing because uh, it just came out of the blue. We... Um, we played against Brazil and and, and, and we lost, uh, even though we played really well. Um, and um, then all we had to do was uh, face Saudi Arabia, and we were really happy because we won, I think, three one. And um, we played really, really well. All, all, all the players were ecstatic. So you know, we went out after the game um, because we had a big break before um, uh, the Argentinian game. I, I got back uh, at night. My leg was hurting. But because we had a long weekend there, the doctor wasn't there the next day. And uh, <laughs> These days they fly doctors yeah, to Turkey and, and, to help and, uh, I got up and my leg was swollen. I said, oh, well, it's just a little infection. You know, when he when he saw it at night, he said, my God, you know, I'm going to intern you. So he put me in the hospital on a drip and I was there for about three and a half days. I tried to get out to uh, try and make it, but my leg didn't go down quickly enough. And, uh, you know, it was one of those things that, um, you know, unfortunately they never leave you because uh, we ended up winning fantastically. Mm. You know, Charlie scored a goal from about six miles away yeah. and, uh, <laughs> and he kept doing that after that as well. So, and, um, yeah, it's a great pity, although, you know, I did play against Argentina in, in the youth in uh, when the World Cup was here and we won. Um, that, that time we were 1-0 down and, you know, we turned the game around, so that was a great win. And uh, I was looking forward to, to play against the, 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 the national team and, you um, uh, a little bit sad that Maradona didn't come that time around, but they had most of the uh, the World Cup winning side, and uh, we did very well. And uh, again, we put Australia on the map, and you know people started to take a bit more notice. Well, Oscar, look, we're going to have to end it there, mate. Uh, the hour went really, really quickly. Pablo's, you know. Very upset that he hasn't been able to ask a last question. Well, I was going to say, uh, we can go on for another three hours oh, no, here we can. easily. We're, we're probably in the green room after this, we will, mate. Thanks you, thank you very much for coming in tonight. Uh, it's been a great pleasure having you in the studio. I know you want to now talk to me for about my career for an hour, <laughs> yeah. but uh, we won't get a chance to do that. But, no, look, it's been 
uh, great time talking to you guys, you know, and listening to you all these times and uh, finally get to meet you. So it's, uh, <laughs> yeah, it is a great honour. He's, like, nice, so. he's a nice guy. He's a nice guy. So, so thanks for the opportunity. I'm thanks. sure we'll get you on again at some other time. Oscar, thanks for joining us tonight. Thanks, Pablo. Thanks, Rodrigo. Thanks, Pedro on the panel. Cameron Luke, all night appetite up next. So remember, Rodrigo. Wherever Puerto Rican girls hang out. We'll, we'll be, be there. there. Wherever you samba, rumba, and la bumba. We'll, we'll be, be there. Wherever there are girls with fruit on their head and balls of their feet. We'll, we'll be there. Wherever can guys play football. We'll, we'll be there. there. We're the the Four Diego's proudly brought to you by Tax Talk. We love to talk tax. Call 1300 366 639.